Welcome to the 11th episode of Frontend Happy Hour. In this episode, we'll be discussing transpilers. Leveraging transpilers is extremely helpful and in allowing us to extend the JavaScript language in ways JavaScript engines cannot. We all use transpilers in our daily work and projects, but there are things that developers should be aware of when using transpilers. Before we get deep dive into transpilers, let's go around and introduce each one of the panelists. Derek, you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, Derek Showers, I'm a UI engineer at LinkedIn. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. I'm Augustus Yoon, um, front-end engineer at Evernote. Ryan Anklum, a senior software engineer at Netflix. Uh, I'm Brian Holt, and I'm subservient to Ryan Burgess. <laughs> He's also a bartender. I'm Sarah Fetterman. I'm a UI engineer at LinkedIn. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a UI engineering manager at Netflix. So in each episode of Front End Happy Hour, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned, we will take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Compile. Awesome. All right. So if the word compile ever gets mentioned, we will take a drink. It will probably be me that says it. Does anyone want to explain why we chose compile as the word? I think Jem should explain it. You're the one who picked So I thought it was a good word. (laughs) (laughs) I like words um, because I I think that... uh, and. I'm sure Jim will prove us all wrong here, but um, compile and transpile are kind of used interchangeably, and uh, there's definitely a, uh, a difference between the two. So figured if we say compile, then we're probably saying something wrong, and then as a result, we should drink. It's a good reasoning. Yeah. All, right, all, right. all right. So from now on, if anyone says that word, we will take a drink. So to start off, what is a transpiler? What are the benefits, and why should we use it? It, it compiles code. <laughs> Uh, Transpiler. Um, Are we talking about the difference or what a transpiler? Let's talk about the difference. Um, So a compiler takes something from a language and then uh, some language, doesn't matter what language, and then converts it down to machine code. That's compiling. Uh, Transpiling is also known as transcompiler or source to source compiler, which takes one language and converts it to another language. That's pretty much it. What's a good example? Python. Python actually takes... Python code converts it to byte code. That's compiling. Because one's human readable and one's not. That's pretty simple. Cheers. 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 Whereas uh, something like TypeScript is a transpiler where it takes code written in TypeScript and converts it to JavaScript. And then the um, interpreter runs and then converts that into machine code. Great. Now it's actually a good way to describe it. So transpiling takes code and converts it into some more code that needs to be compiled. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so something like processing that can compile to uh, <laughs> to Java or like uh, C, is that also transpiling? That's transpiling. The rule of thumb is, and I'm probably way off base, but my rule of thumb is if you can read the code that is trans is transpiled, then that's transpiling. So if it's taking one code and converting to another code, but it's also human readable, that's transpiling. If it's not readable, if it's like ones and zeros or like some weird hex or something like that, that's compiled. Nice. So, I, so I guess like SAS and a CSS would be transpiled. Transpiling, yep. definitely. Yep. No, that's good. I think that's, that's a good worth one, yeah. explaining, yeah. So why would we use a transpiler? What are some benefits for using it? I think a good place to start is like, one at least from the front-end perspective, is kind of like I would deem the mother of all transpiling languages for JavaScript, which would be CoffeeScript. And like, I, there's like a collective eye roll in the room right now. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Yeah. That was pretty much what brought transpilers into you know 
popularity, though. Yeah, like the mainstream cons- consciousness. I mean, SaaS was first. But those all started coming out, like SaaS, Less, Stylus, CoffeeScript. They were all kind of around the same. So I think the point is, like, JavaScript isn't the most elegant language at times, and we use transpilers to take JavaScript and kind of turn it into a language that can be a little bit more elegant, a lot more expressive, right? So CoffeeScript, ES6 now, things like that. So, TypeScript. So why would you use CoffeeScript? Why would one use CoffeeScript? Does anyone here like CoffeeScript? No. No? no. My, my main thing why not liking CoffeeScript is I don't like the JavaScript it puts out. It's like... That's not fair. very readable, and it's not the way. There's I a would. lot of uh, iffies in it. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. instantly invoked function expressions. I, I did see the array comprehensions you mentioned, and I thought that was so cool. cool. I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. I'll just say that. But for me, the main reason, like using transpilers, is actually being able to use the future features of JavaScript. Like, is a huge thing is being able to actually do that and actually allow browsers that aren't supporting some of those features now can actually compile down to, or sorry, transpile down to... Um, Come on, Ryan. Come on. <laughs> so they would transpile down to something like ES5 that is supported on all the browsers, um, especially because each browser has its own JavaScript engine. Like Chrome has runs V8, Firefox is SpiderMonkey, and IE is like Chakra. Chakra. Yeah. I think the, the advantage, and this is... Um, kind of getting into probably some of the reasons that uh, transpilers are bad, but um, is that you you now kind of are reliant on your build tools to to transpile your code down to JavaScript that the browser can understand. So it kind of takes away you having to worry about oh is this compatible with IE or oh is this you know like uh, like like a good example is imports ES six imports right like you don't have to really worry about how that module resolution is happening after it gets transpiled. Um, which I guess we could argue you you, sh- you may sh- you should worry about some of that stuff um, if you really look at the code that's out that's outputting, but it just kind of takes that it, it just kind of more developer friendly in a way. You know, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. I think another good reason for them is it also starts to push getting some of the specs into TC thirty nine committee. They who actually designs the JavaScript spec. They're actually looking at a lot of the stuff that we're doing in using transpilers and saying, like, should this actually be in the ECMAScript uh, spec? Right. They're, they're, get, they're getting real feedback from users, right? As opposed to, like, someone reading a spec and saying, oh, this looks dumb or all oh, this looks great, right? Like, we used to all think that object.observe was a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Until right? you yeah. actually start putting it into real practice, how do you know? Yeah, and then it's like, oh, this was, this was an awful idea. Why did the Angular team propose this? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it, is, it goes beyond just, you know, using features or future features in JavaScript, right? Like TypeScript, it gives us typing in, in JavaScript or something like Flow in JSX. I think there's a lot more uses for transpiling outside of just using ESNext, ES6, whatever. And, and, you know, use it in ways that JavaScript isn't even, was never even thought of being used. God forbid we have to write plain CSS again. I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like, if you, like, I've, I worked with some people that are really good at CSS and like, it's, it's true with SAS too. You know, like, you can get into some trouble or if you don't really think about what the CSS is being compiled to, you can end up with a lot more CSS. Um, because it might look nicer with the way that you're writing SAS or less, but at the end, uh, 
I think nesting is probably the worst yeah. thing that's ever happened to CSS. I don't think that's necessarily true within reason. The biggest thing that I had a problem with when I started writing SAS was using extend too much. And if you, like, nest your extends, you get these, like, giant stacks when it compiles. And those are, like, really ugly to read, but also really bad performance. Can I, can I make a confession? Yeah. I've never written any SAS. I've only worked at less. Like the past yeah, four companies I've been at, it's only not yeah, it's it's not much of a difference. There's like small syntax changes. I could tell you that we we if we were like right now we're writing it less at Netflix. If I was like tomorrow, hey Jem, we're writing in SAS, you would just be up and running. Like no, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. There's actually like a really big difference though. Is like CSS, it like SAS goes like top to bottom. Less actually reads it the way that CSS does in the browser, like um, from rule to rule. Oh, interesting. I actually didn't know that they varied in that. Yeah. Well, and <coughs> SAS is, has SAS script, which is really powerful. Yeah. Like, I say that with a bit of venom in my voice because I don't want my CSS to be really, really powerful. I want it to just be goddamn CSS. <laughs> <laughs> True. Exactly. I think that's where the nesting comes in for me is it makes it so easy to nest and you get so specific of selectors yeah. when you're trying to overwrite something. I mean, I've, it's a mess. And if you're not having to write nested selectors, you have to actually write that out. You're conscious of what you're doing. It's it's painful to actually write a long, deeply nested rule in pure CSS. Switching gears a bit. Um, Derek and Sarah, do you, at LinkedIn, do you use a transpiler? Is it in your code base? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it's kind of built into Ember CLI. Okay. What, what sort of transpiler? Um, well, so it kind of depends on well, I mean, so the main thing is that all you can write ES six in in Ember, it's all transpiled down. So, is that what you're asking? I'm just, just yeah. curious. I don't what every company's using. I guess is yeah, yeah. We use Babel, and then like yeah, yeah it uses Babel. It uses Babel. Ember CLI uses Babel. Yeah, and actually, well, I don't know about everyone. Like, I also agree. Like with transpilers, like totally like the feature sets that you get for for ES six or TypeScript, like those are huge benefits. But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people. Who had like this fear of like, what was if like one day like browsers just said, okay, we're going to switch to ES6 and then like in a few years, like we're going to deprecate ES5. Like it just like gets people to like kind of jump on and like say, okay, well, like we need to, like how are we going to migrate all this code over? And like transpilers give us like the benefit of like just coding and what we're going to code in the future. That's a huge benefit. Yeah. Cause like at that point, your code is all written in something that's like future JavaScript and then you can just literally say, oh, yeah, browsers were all supporting it, you could just rip that transpiler out of your build, and you're, okay, well, we're good to go. Granted, I feel like browsers are always going to be behind. We're probably always going to need transpilers, but you're, you're, I, I completely agree with you. That's a big benefit, is that it's actually getting your team to start writing the future specs of JavaScript before that's actually integrated in the browser. When I was at um, FluentConf one year, I went to a talk, and it was by someone at Facebook, and they actually wrote a transpiler to take their old ES, what, ES5 code, I think it was, and convert it all to ES6. Um, so their, all their legacy code base was written in modern JavaScript. And they did that because the next person that comes in and looks at it, because what do you do when you open a project, right? You look at the existing code. Yeah. And so they didn't want old patterns to be repeated. They wanted all their code to be future-looking. So they wrote this thing to go on and take all their old code and transpile it into ES6, ES-next or whatever. That was a really. I remember seeing that talk. I was like super impressed with it. That yeah, was really it's using cool. Using CodeMod, right? Yeah, and so I think that was when they first launched it. Like, I don't even know if it had a name. 
I'll say this, like, I, I've heard this argument before, and in, in all defense, I've spent more time thinking about it than probably most people, but, yeah, I, like, when I first started, that was what I sold my boss on, I was like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll write some code, and, like, when the browser support it, we'll just switch over, like, seamlessly, but that that's absolutely not true, it's, like, this dream we've been sold by nobody, like, nobody created it, we just all collectively came with this thought, there's a few problems with that, one, so there's Tracer, there's Babel, like, your two main, like, ECMAScript compilers. They're opinionated about how you should write things. Like, they try to follow spec, but it's not necessarily line by line, like, what ECMAScript says. So, you can't just rip out the transpiler and the code's going to work in every browser. Like, that's just, unfortunately, it's just not true. It's a pipe dream. It is a pipe dream. It's a good idea, in theory, but, you know, people get opinionated. Someone in Babel, of course, says, like, well, no, I want um, the spread operator to work like this. Or I want it to look like this. And it, that's not necessarily the spec. Uh, second part is... It's slower. ECMAScript 6 is slower in the browser. Like, I've, I've benchmarked a few things and just, we, we take for granted all these optimizations of like Chakra and SpiderMonkey and V8 that they've done for years on ECMAScript 5. And like, they're just not there yet for ECMAScript 6. So your code's definitely going to be slower. That's just like. Like, if you're running, even if they're supporting ES6 for some of these features, running it just in the browser without transpiling, you're saying that it's actually slower than the ES5 version. Yeah, because it's not optimized yet. Like, give it a year or two, it'll be optimized. But for now, if you just do a straight switch over, your code's, it's not going to be as performant. That's just the way it is. Crazy, because you think you're like, oh, I'm writing the latest version. And it's like, faster, it should be yeah. the faster version. Yeah. Because underneath, there's. Um, Depends on the, the engine, but I know V8's written in C so or C++. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of code that they still need to optimize, just like everything else. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It's like it's going to squash these, like, uh, I don't know what people understand about transpilers. but No, I think that's because we all assume that. I mean, there are selling points. Like you said, I had to sell my boss on it of like, hey, this is why we should use it. And I think we've all used those as selling points. And not, not it's like we hope that it's going to get there. So the, the counterpoint and the point of caution, I would say, to, to Jem's point is he's absolutely right that it's going to be slower, right? Like it, the nature of transpiling, you almost always end up with more code than when you started with. Like that's just the way it works. Very rarely are they going to take more code and reduce it down to less. But I would say in any case, if possible, err on the side of readable code, right? So if you're using ES6 and that makes your code way more readable and way more understandable to a future person, right? Like my example is... Um, using generators, like there are, are situations that generators lend themselves to extremely well. It's going to be slower because it's a giant state machine, right? But if it lends it to itself really well, makes your code much more readable, then that might be worth it. And you might be giving up three milliseconds, five milliseconds, which in just about any app is acceptable, right? But if you're giving up a hundred milliseconds, then it's a problem. Yeah, we, ne we never talked about that. The benefit of transpiling is that I write code faster. It's just so much faster. Uh, Brian and I have gotten to long debates on Twitter and elsewhere about cons versus let and var and yeah. how like cons and uh, let are kind of explicitly saying your intention. That aside, which is uh, it's beautiful, it's just like it's just faster to write ES6 code. So like using transpiler makes the entire team work faster. My opinion, I, th I think I can write more verbose code or less verbose code. I also feel like you're a pretty big adamant person on cons and let. Why are someone people writing var in the code? I know it drives you nuts. We just instituted that rule at Netflix. Um, it throws a warning now in if you're using var. Oh, interesting. I didn't even know that we added that, but I've started to notice on people's poll requests that there was a few people that always still left var. And I've noticed that those engineers that were writing that are now always writing let and cons. I just assume they just jumped on the bandwagon. Nope, it's um, ESLint. ESLint is yelling at them. Yep. 
So Netflix has fallen on the side of Latin console only, which I'm totally a fan of. Me too. I, I used to have an interview question that involved closures, and turns out like you use let instead of var in the for loop, it will like it works. Not much of an interview <laughs> question if they knew that, but yeah. I guess too is like we talked about us all. Like it sounds like all of our companies are using uh, some sort of a transpiler. What if your company wasn't using a transpiler? Is it like why would you want to switch? Like why would you want to take the extra time to put that in build? Is it something that you have to rewrite in your entire code base to start using a transpiler, or is it something that you can gradually do? So, in my opinion, uh, using newer, future-facing code really gives you two things. It gives you some conveniences and let const arrow functions. These are all really conveniences, right? Like they they allow us to do the same things that we could do before, just in slightly more terse or slightly more fun or however you want to put it away. But it also affords new things that are new primitives that you could not you could not previously use. One of those would definitely be generators, right? Like there are some patterns that you can accomplish with generators that you simply cannot accomplish with anything else. Um, async iterators is another thing, right? Um, there's these new primitives that that are coming to us that if they were not given to us by the language, we could no longer do them. So that's what I, I guess what I'm saying it affords new paradigms of programming that you can do interesting. Uh, techniques and optimizations that you were not previously able to accomplish. You'd be an advocate for if you're if you walked into a company tomorrow and were like, "Oh no, we don't have a transpiler." You would probably institute putting it in. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't just do it blindly. I mean, I would want to because I think it's fun, right? But that's obviously not the the best reason to do something. I mean, you need a you need a business reason. I guess how would you approach it? Oh, I would just do it. <laughs> uh, well, that's how I introduced Reddit. To react is I just launched it. <laughs> so it's one way to do it. Is like I feel like you can talk and talk about it, but if no one actually takes it upon themselves to do it, that I think it is a valid way. To and that's do how it. we launched SCSS as well. Um, I just started having it run over our CSS, right? Because CSS is valid SCSS, right? Yeah. Same with uh, if you're doing Babel transpilation, like anything that's already valid JavaScript is already going to transpile. So you just do it. And then when someone figures it out later, he's like, oh, I don't, I don't know what happened. That was someone else. We're going to get like an email from an angry company in a month. They're going to be like, my employee just instituted this without asking me. You can blame yeah. front end happier. Yeah. You can you blame are, Brian. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think most transpilers, uh, you can write whatever native code you were writing before. And, and if you want to throw in like a lot of cons, it'll do it. And like, it's pretty, pretty painless in my experience. I've instituted two companies now and it's like, and like static analysis just from using constant let is like hugely beneficial. If you just only want to do that in arrow functions, maybe not generators, maybe for in loops. Like there's like a lot of pick and pick and choose features of ES6 that are just incredibly useful that you can only transpile those if you want. It's pretty easy. Do you think if you like if you start doing this, you should go back and change your old old code for people that are coming into the company or like just in general, like making a consistent effort? I think as you touch the file, um, you should change it, but not like I'm going to go one Friday night and like update all my VARs and the like. I think if you change the file, you should change the whole file. Though. Yeah. I've seen pull requests where it's like var, 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 cons, 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 var, 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 and that just drives me crazy. If you're going to change it in a file, don't be lazy. Go, go do the whole thing. You also have to make sure that you communicate that this is like your preferred style. 
Because if somebody comes into the company and they don't know any better and they see different versions, they might not know which one to choose. Uh, write a lint rule. Exactly. You definitely yeah. have to write a lint rule. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that should fall into culture too, right? Everything should be pull requested and you can sit down and have a conversation about how, you know, the style of code that they chose or you chose or whatever. So we've briefly touched on like a lot of the positives um, and even some of the negatives kind of we kind of lightly touched on. But I'm interested to know, what are some of the bad parts of transpilers? Obviously, not everything is positive. What are some of the things to be aware of? It's all unicorns and rainbows. And we're all happy. Put a transpiler in, we're good. Transpiler transpilations. <laughs> the bad part of transpilers, I think, is bootstrapping a project. I think the last project I did, I set up a webpack, I set up TypeScript. And you know, by the time I got all those running and got the Vim plugins for all those, I was exhausted and I didn't write any more code at the night. I just went to bed. Like, I was done. <laughs> I think you know that could be a bad part. It, it takes a little bit more to get set up, and you know get things running smoothly. Um, but once you do, then it's it's just another thing that happens. But I think the initial overhead of getting it set up can be a little, a little bit exhausting and daunting if you're not you know not used to it. Plus, you're using a framework with a CLI tool that that just comes free. But uh... <laughs> but okay, what's what's sorry? What are the negatives of that though? Like there are some negatives. I like the idea of something like Ember. Yeah, you're pretty much easy set up and go, but there are some negatives to that. Is the fact that you're pretty constrained. With I don't think that's true actually with Ember CLI. I think you you have I mean, yeah, you have something like out of the box that just works, but Ember CLI has a lot of hooks that you can hook into and, and change your if you want to rip out Babel and use something else, you certainly can. Ember just has like a lot. Like it has like your package.json. It also has like your product spec, but it also has Broccoli and Bauer, and like it's just a ton. <laughs> Broccoli and Bauer. <laughs> like, wow. why do we have all this stuff? Yeah, you don't need Bauer, that's for sure. Well, yeah, they're like trying. They're trying to get rid of Bauer, but it's tough when you have when you have Ember that, that requires Bauer. But yeah, that's a different topic. I like that the React CLI, which just released last week, has like an eject function where it's just like, all right, just we'll spit out everything into a project, and then you can go your own way from there i think that's a really really smart move. It, it acts more like a boilerplate like the way i that's the way i took it as like hey here's a cli tool that just will start your project and, and ember does the same thing but i feel like the react approach i like a little more um just because i still have feel like i have more freedom and derek you are right like the ember you can still like swap out things but to the same point as to ryan going and setting up his all his boilerplate build project is like he still has to go do that so you would still have to do that with ember yeah, but you'd have to do that with the React CLI too. I'm not. I don't. I don't mean that it's like I'm not trying to say Ember's the best. I'm just saying that like I I do agree with Ryan and that and and especially it's annoying because you you set up everything the way you want to set it up, right? And then like you don't run any documentation for yourself. So like a couple weeks later, you want to do it again, and you're like, okay, well here here I am again. And, oh, you write uh, your own boilerplate you know, like, <laughs> CLI tool. <laughs> it, it, with with whether it's Ember CLI or, or yeah. I didn't even realize React had, but I, I knew it was coming. And and like with the point of those is it's just it is really nice that you have documentation and that you can probably type two commands and have a project up and running. And it's it's one dependency in your project, which is really nice. Yeah. I mean, there there definitely are issues, and I think like one of the issues with transpilers in general, and and also these CLI tools, is just like the amount. Like the the more that you add to it and stuff, the obviously the more time it takes for all of these things to 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 process and um, you know transpiling takes time. Whether it's not necessarily on the client, but it takes time to to uh, do on on 
during the build process, right? Like I know there's a couple of things that I've worked on even at work that take like 30 seconds to compile, which is ridiculous. Uh, but when you get, or, or sorry, oh, transpile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, that's, that's a lot of time that, um, and if you multiply that and scale that, then you're talking about a, that's developer productivity. And that is a pain in the ass that each time having to wait for like changing some code that you're like, all right, yep, waiting for a transpile. Like, that is, it adds up very quickly. We have, your like, days. a 60-second CSS compiler right now. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, on that note, like, with overhead involved with this, previously when we were talking about ES6, we were saying when you're learning JavaScript, you should just learn ES6 from the beginning. With, like, the need for transpilers... Do you feel like that's also still true? Like, you should just start learning JavaScript and use a transpiler as you go? Or should you start learning, like, plain JavaScript and then add the transpiler and then ES6? I feel like you should just start with without a transpiler because can, I can't imagine trying to write, like, a config <laughs> without actually for my very first time. And, like, there's no features in ES6 that are essential to the the basics of learning. Even when you're learning, like a lot of times, I think you just, a, a great way to learn is just to go into the console and just start like typing, just start doing things, right? And I, I always find myself, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try this out and I'm typing ES6 into the, luckily they, they support now let and anything const, right? But like, there, yeah, there's a lot of things I'm doing. Okay, this, this doesn't work. Why, why doesn't, oh, that's right. I'm writing ES6. So like, I think that'll help you, you know, if you learn, know how to write plain JavaScript, ES5 JavaScript, you can, can pretty much do it wherever you want. Don't have to worry about it. Even Node, like, a lot of people are still on really old versions of Node, right? So, like, you know. Oh, that always drove me nuts, too, is in the browser you could write certain uh, ES6 features, but then you'd be on Node. There were so many times that I would write those features and be like, wait, 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 that's not going to work, or else I'd get errors in Node and be like, what's happening? And it, it always, that caused me the most headaches. I felt like jumping between the two. And I think also it's... Um, it's going to, like if we use the not to keep going back to this example, but if we use the the SAS less and CSS example, like I don't think anyone would say you don't ever need to learn CSS if you know SAS or less, right? Like I think we all realize that you have to know CSS and, and for a lot of the same reasons because you have to go into the browser and you have to you know using Dev tools, you're just looking at CSS at that point. You're not looking at SAS or less. The same thing is true in a lot of parallels to um, you know ES6 and I don't I don't know if that's a hundred percent true. There, there are people, like, for example, the ClojureScript community, right? That's a transpiled language that we haven't really touched on yet. And it's, it's a great language, especially if you like Clojure, right? Um, they have Ohm and Ohm Next, which are just fantastic libraries. And some of the ClojureScript programmers that I know don't write any JavaScript, right? And you can get around the debugger problem with source maps, right? So, I mean, there, there is a case to be made there that um, eventually we might get to the point where JavaScript is not necessarily the main target, especially with WebAssembly around the corner. Yeah, I guess, like, to me, you know, if you're, there, there are times where you still have to debug JavaScript in production or you still have to, and then you add the fact that it's minified and it's even a whole other level of complexity. <laughs> so if you don't know, but I mean, maybe that's just that that's the world that we live in now. And like when things move to WebAssembly and stuff down the road, like, we won't think of that as being an issue. I think you just like describe the difference between a senior engineer and a regular engineer. Yeah, a regular engineer writes transpiled code, blah, 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 it runs. But a senior engineer can go into production, see that minified code in ES5, and debug it from there. That's kind of the key difference. I'm doing it by choice. Just... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you broke something. <laughs> How?
have to do it. You don't want to do it. <laughs> um, I think another thing that we've missed for some of the bad parts is just being aware of um, what features in ES6 you're using. Some of them add actually a lot of extra page weight. You look at this nice, beautiful ES6 code. A good example, I think, would be generators. It looks so nice. And then once you've actually transpiled it, it's huge in ES5. And so you have to be aware of, like, should I be using this? Is it actually beneficial? Am I getting that performance gain? Probably not in that case. I know, I think actually in Gem, your your talk, um, I think you used generators. Might have yeah. been, it was generators as an example of that. And I think you showed a good example of it being very, very small, like four or five lines of code, and then probably like 10 times that once it's ES5. Yeah, that's, I have a lot of bad parts mainly because that was what my talk was about. But um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we had the same example for uh, Jacques. Our web core team did it for classes. And he's saying, like, this is what classes, like, blow up to. And, like, it adds a lot of code weight. I think it's, like, 40% bigger for some of our stuff. So Now, that is just because of the way we do things, right? Yeah. Um, we have each file gets attached to the helper um, because of the way we do our dependency resolution and our A-B testing, um, you know, with Babel 3, you're not going to get that for every single file that we have. You would have that helper one. So it's not quite as bad as our, our use case, um, but there is still an overhead. Yeah, and, and there are polyfills which is thrown in, which, I don't know, not as big a deal, but if you're trying to, like, trying to shave kilobytes here, like, the polyfills are sometimes, like, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 kilobytes, and it's just, they're getting included, and you don't even think about it, because you're like, oh, my code's, like, Four lines of code, but there's actually like a polyfill supporting that. Yeah, it's almost like you should be looking at the code before it's minified just yeah. to see like what does this actually look like when it's transpiled and just be a little more aware of it. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't use it, but just have a better understanding why or like what's happening in that transpiled uh, state. I think another one of the, the bad things that we didn't touch on is you are dependent on that build tool or whatever transpiler you're using, right? I mean, Brian's got a great case of that when he was giving his... Uh, I think that was a CS in six hours workshop at Netflix. Oh, that was a good example. And CodePen decided to upgrade from Babel 2 to Babel 3 the night before. Yeah. But they didn't actually read on how to do it. So they didn't actually include any uh, default. Uh, what do they call them? Default. Uh, the, the, con the config, right? They didn't include any of the presets or plugins. Yeah, yeah presets. Um, they didn't include any of that. So his entire workshop was busted because they're, you know, Thanks, CodePen. Hashtag not sponsored by CodePen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you did, you pulled through. It was, yeah. you still pulled the workshop off. And they did, they did fix it relatively quickly, yeah. but, but it and was, they were cool about it. Yeah. we love CodePen. You, you bring up like a great forking point where it's just, you're not just dependent on the transpiler, you're dependent on your tool chain. You're dependent on a linter to support that. Um, you're dependent on that transpiler forever and ever because they are opinionated about how you should write certain things and, can't just say, like, oh, we're using Babel today, we're going to switch to Tracer. It won't work. Like, there's something that's going to break, and it's going to be, like, very obscure, and you're going to be debugging that in production <laughs> as a senior engineer. I mean, kind of to your point, like, if you are writing ES6 and um, using, like, the Babel 2015 plugin, right, or preset, rather, it is possible that you can get on Tracer, right? That yeah. it, It's within the realm of possibilities that if, for whatever reason, Babel went south, according to you, that you have options to move to which I think is a big reason to stick to spec-compliant JavaScript, right? You do actually have options. If you're writing ClojureScript, right, you're, you're kind of stuck to ClojureScript, and you're, they decide, it's like, you know what, we're done with ClojureScript, now it's all about 
racket script or Erlang flavored Lisp script or something dumb like that. Not they're not dumb. They're actually awesome. Sticking to JavaScript, you're going to have some options. But if you're going to use spec compliant JavaScript, side note, object.observe, right? Yeah. Like stuff will come and go even if you're writing spec. Right. And actually this is a good segue into talking about stages versus presets, just presets in general with Babel in particular. So here's a pro tip for you. Go into your... Can we give some background about the object.observe thing? So object.observe was, um, it kind of came from Angular 1.x, actually 0.x really if you want to get where, where it started. Uh, the way that Angular does checking to see if properties change over time is they kind of do this uh, polling, this and it checks every so often, does this number change? No. Does it change? No. Does it change? No. Did it change? Yes. Okay, I'm, now I'm going to do a bunch of stuff based on the fact that it changed. So the, the Angular team was really pushing for a spec that they could say, hey, JavaScript, I want to observe this, and anytime something happens to it, here's a callback for you to call, right? So you're observing this value, and it's any property, right? So you guys say var x equals 5, object.observe x, right? And then as soon as x changes, you're going to call your callback, whatever you provided. Everyone thought this was a great idea for a long time, myself included. I was pretty stoked on it. And then eventually it kind of came to light that like, there are way better ways to handle this kind of asynchrony, right? Like dirty checking is actually really not a good idea. It's really inefficient, actually. Yeah, anybody curious at home, um, it's called the observer pattern. It's like very common CS pattern. It's, it's really beautiful to implement. It's like really easy. But yeah, I, I was with it. I was like, obviously, observe is going to save us. We're going to write like all new frameworks and things like that. And it doesn't exist anymore. That's yeah. also like the whole two-way binding thing in general is kind of going away. It's not as trendy as it used to be. It's, it's too magical. Anyway, so the point I wanted to make is go to your uh, Babel RC file in your production app. It doesn't really matter in your personal app because for the most part you don't really care how big your stuff is in personal. Go to your production Babel RC file and see if there's any presets. And if there are presets in your Babel RC file, you're probably doing something wrong. Especially if it says... Babel preset 20, ES2015. You are including way more stuff. I guarantee it. There is not a single app out there that uses all of ES2015. What you really need to go is you need to go include the individual plugins for every piece of the ES2015 that you're using. Now, if you're using something like ES or uh, Babel preset stage two or stage zero, then you're in for a world of hurt. Like that's going to be a really, really bad day for you, especially if you're going to use things that are you know, not yet spec compliant, right? You're going to have a really bad time. And if you're not sure about stage two and stage zero, I suggest you go back and listen to our ES6 podcast. Well, actually, Jem told me a story where he wrote us something in stage zero and it really bit him in the ass, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Can I interject with her real quick? Compilers. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Jem, go. No, you guys are making amazing points. And it's absolutely true. Uh, Object Observe is a good one. My my one my terrible story is decorators. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of decorators. I think they're beautiful. I think they shorten up code very very nicely. But they're still stage zero, stage one. But I've written code at my last company. Sorry, Yuval. And I'm using decorators all over the place because they're just amazing. But they may never make it into the standard JavaScript. So forever and ever, we're going to be stuck using Babel or some sort of transpiler. An old plugin. And an old plugin. Yeah. What if? They drop it tomorrow. I'm still stuck using. Yeah, you have to. You at that point, you have to maintain it. Exactly. And our, what's another one? Uh, function bind, the double colon. That's another one that may never make it to JavaScript. So, yeah, you're you're forever stuck using features which, yeah, this your transpiler supports it, but like 
it's not standard technical. We're not getting to that point where we're like, hey, eventually we'll be able to get rid of this transpiler, like that pipe dream we were talking about earlier. You're literally never going to get it. Like, never. Well, speaking on that topic, in general, I mean, we're kind of attached to transpilers as it is, because with the new ES6 every year thing, we're going to be transpiling, like, basically until, like, the foreseeable future. I like to think that the browsers will be do a little better job of even like ES 2016. Their features are a subset of features and not as big as like going from ES 5 to ES 6. So it's not as big of a jump. There was such a build in, so many extra features added. I would hope that the browsers can catch up. ES 2016 only has two things in it. Yeah. So. It's pretty much already fully implemented in every browser. And the other thing is you don't have to. You, you are totally fine to write. ES5, even ES3 has pretty much everything you need to write a, a full app. ES3? There's no bind in there, man. I love bind. No, you use jQuery. Oh, yes. Bind came from jQuery in the oh, first place. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you don't need it. And if you are using bind everywhere, you are probably doing something wrong. Before we fully wrap up today's episode, let's share each other's pick. Eric, do you want to start off with your picks for this episode? I'm going before Augustus so I can take his <laughs> we, have, we have the same picks. I had to come up with something else. Uh, anyway, one thing that uh, I think is pretty important or pretty useful is um, Babel's try it out feature, especially with what we we're talking about. So it, it actually you can it does like live transpilation from ES two thousand fifteen or whatever to uh, ES five. Um, so you can see exactly what's going on, which is super helpful, and also shows you like how much code is actually being replaced with. So um, just go to Babel's website and just click on try it out at the top. And my other pick. Augustus will tell you about, um, <laughs> but no, but so I had to come up with something else quick, but something I use all the time and I really like, and a lot of people don't like, so I'm just going to throw it out there is inbox by Google. It's like their Gmail replacement. And a lot of people don't like it cause it's, it's kind of like hides mail for you and stuff like that, but it's really good if you like the zero inbox thing. And they actually have a bookmark, a Chrome uh, extension now that you can actually save articles right to your inbox. So I use it pretty much for like one place for everything that I want to catch up on it too. If you subscribe to the front end happy hour um, mailing list, that'll go right there too. So it's not a nice. front end happy hour mailing list. <laughs> that was a good plug. I don't I'll say like I don't like inbox. I, I like seeing where my mail comes and goes and I don't want to like miss something because like I think decided. I just hate email so much that I don't care. I don't so do I if it can but then I worry that I would miss something. My biggest gripe with inbox is it doesn't search your trash. You gotta go back to Gmail if you want to search your trash, and that is a it big thing It searches your done though. Yeah, I trash everything, especially when I'm on my phone. I'm just trash, trash. But Ryan Burgess, trash. <laughs> my picks. First one, music pick. Explosion in the sky, the wilderness. It is phenomenal. I love trying to explain Explosion in the Sky to people, and I think even XKCD has a comic about this. Like trying to explain like, and the part that goes da 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 da, because like there's there's no lyrics to most. 99% of Explosion Sky songs. Just, it's just, this one is so good. Their theme is about space and exploring, and you kind of get that. Kind of like uh, The Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place is like a love album, but exactly. It, it, but there's like no love part in it. It's just, you have to feel it. Uh, it's hard to explain, but Explosion Sky, check it out. It's amazing. My second pick is DigitalOcean. I actually have been using it at AWS for years now for my personal side and other stuff, but I started using DigitalOcean and it's just so much easier. It's so much more user friendly. Um, Eddie Rest is like kind of like a middle finger, figure it out. But DigitalOcean is like, hey, we're going to help you out. So I recommend that too. It's really good. Augustus, what do you have? I'm so curious which one of these is Derek's, but we'll see, I guess. So my first one is this Chrome extension uh, that 
basically adds Godoot definition, like in IDEs for GitHub. So you could go to like an open source project and you look and then like you can right click and it'll say go to definition and it'll just take you to the to the file that has that where that function is declared. Wow, that's like, actually really cool. Yeah, it's really yeah, sick. So it's a Chrome extension and um yeah, definitely check it out. Was that the one? No. Nope. Nope. No, okay. okay. <laughs> it must be this one. Um so Stack Overflow recently just announced their documentation beta. Um I think it's I, I really like the idea of it. Basically it's community driven documentation for whatever and so like a lot of people have already started doing JavaScript, React, a lot of the big stuff. Yeah, I, I think like it would be awesome if people could contribute. And yeah, I guess I must have been. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. And I mean, you know, documentation sucks. So like, if anyone, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if it'll work or not, but yeah, anyone can try to take a stab at it. Right, uh, Ryan, what do you have for us this episode? So my first pick is Google Keep. Um, I was using another note-taking application. <laughs> oh, man. The UI just started getting a little bit clunky to me, and it just it wasn't pleasing to use anymore. So Google Keep, I think, is, is a nice... It's got a, a very clean UI. It only does taking notes, and it, it does a really good job of it. Um, so Until they shut it down. But until then, I'm going to ride that wave hard. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you say wave. <laughs> totally meant to do that. Um, my second one is a, is a music pick, and it's a song uh, called Heartburn, the Felix Cartel mix by a group called Wafia. Uh, it's a great song to just crank up loud and, and code to. I've listened to it multiple times in a row and just pounded out tons of code. I can verify he's listened to it multiple times. Brian, what do you have for us? My first pick is definitely Hyperterm, which came out this week. It's, it's a terminal built in Electron. From Rock G, Guillermo Rock. I'm assuming I'm saying that incorrectly. He's fantastic, though. Everything he touches is gold. Um, he put out Now, which I built Elk CLI, if you remember that, last week, which is built on top of Now and Zite World. So if you want something even easier than DigitalOcean, which is pretty damn easy, Now is even, even easier than that if you're looking to deploy node services. Anyway, so he built uh, Hyperterm, which is... Amazing, super easy to write plugins for. It's all built in JavaScript, really pretty, works really well. And then I'm also going to go ahead and uh, I switched editors this week, which is a really big deal for me. I'm blowing everything up this week. I'm switching shells. I'm going to switch to ZSH. I just did that about a month ago. Yeah, I really like it. Um, so Hyperterm is pretty cool. I, I'm switching from Sublime to, to Code. So that was my other pick from Visual Studio Code. The Node Debugger is... Amazing, life changing. Worth, worth switching editors to use. Even if you don't don't want to switch ed, uh, editors, you should really install code just for the debugging capability. I use it for debugging, but not for coding. I hate it for coding. I debug in the code, and I want code. In yeah, code. yeah. But it's a great debugger. All right, Sarah, what do you have uh, for picks? So my first pick, since I was a butt and I missed the Women in Tech episode, um, is a uh, L's 2016 Women in Tech. Um, there's a little bit of a plug for each of their nominees. It's really cool to see all these women killing it. And my second pick is actually about what we were talking about earlier with uh, less versus CSS. Um, talks about how SAS is uh, a, I think less is the um, imperative. I might be getting this mixed up, but uh, too much drink. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, SAS is an imperative language and less is a declarative language. And it talks about why they are different, and how that actually plays into your code. So uh, a lot of people compare SAS and LESS like, as kind of the same thing, but uh, 
there are some really key differences that aren't really talked about a lot. My two pick. First one is the Netflix original show that just came out a little while ago, which is Stranger Things. It's amazing. I love that it's like has this like eighties vibe to it. The music is like awesome. Like the soundtrack is great. Is that the time period they're in? I couldn't figure that out the whole season. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Definitely eighties. No, it's, it's definitely eighties. Like yeah. uh, I thought you were like like kind no, of scrolling me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was around that area. Yeah. Just didn't, era. I just yeah. couldn't figure no. out. No. Um, I mean, even like I love like the font choice and everything about it. I really highly recommend checking that out. And my second pick, which is very aligned with our uh, topic today is Jem's talk on transpilers, just titled Transpilers, Not So Fast, My Friend. Uh, he gave that at Empire JS in New York, like, what, a few months ago? I don't even remember. A few weeks ago, actually. No. Well, it was end of May. End of May? Okay. Yeah, I guess it's not that long ago. Yeah. Feels like a lot longer ago, but it, w- <laughs> it was a great talk. It is on YouTube. Definitely check it out. Uh, it'll even go a little bit deeper than we did today um, on the episode. How can our listeners get a hold of each of you? Derek. Twitter. What's your Twitter? <laughs> uh, Derek Showers with an at sign in front of it. I am at Jem Young on Twitter. I'm at Augberto, A-U-G-B-U-R-T-O. I am at Bittersweet Ryan on Twitter. At HoltBT. Unless it's bad, then go ahead and tweet at Ryan. <laughs> Which one? Uh, either. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> S- simultaneously. Mark, just mark all. Um, it's at Sarah underscore Fetterman on Twitter. And I'm at Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to rate us on iTunes and Google Play and subscribe to Front End Happy Hour. Also created a Facebook page finally. So go ahead and like us on Facebook. You can also visit frontendhappyhour.com and subscribe to our new newsletter where we'll try and keep everyone up to date with brand new episodes and any events that we're attending, anything like that. I was going to say shout out to all the people who tweet at us. We love you. Also, friend us on MySpace.